You are sitting there with the opportunity of a lifetime. This is what I've been waiting for. A moment to showcase my ability. To someone who can actually do something about it. Someone who can change my life. That someone? Irv Gotti. Sitting in the studio ready to listen to my music. They bring one of the engineers in. The main engineer. The head engineer. Let me be clear. His name was Buck. Never forget because I remembered hearing his name on some of Josh's tracks at the time. And they were about to play my music. In the studio. On the big speakers. It was showtime. I was ready. I gave him three joints. Said play any one you want. It don't matter. Confidence. You know what I mean? Smee. Which one? Don't matter, kid. However you feeling. Pick a door. One, two, three. So they did. They picked a door, and I think they picked one. Just the first one that popped up. They didn't make it hard. Didn't overthink it. That joint played for all of maybe seven seconds. And Buck said, turn it off next. Yo. The fuck? Yo, give it 15, fam. That shit about to rock. You ain't even let it drop. He said, nah, trust me. I know I got an ear for this. I ain't got a lot of time. What's next? I looked at Irv like interject at any moment. <laughs> Irv said I would have stopped it sooner. Oh. It's one of those tag team efforts. Okay. Got it. They played the next one. I can't get used to the lies. Portraying a fraud. Keep switching your styles in the crowd. I can't get used to the lies. With all of the lies. The love and the hate from the crowd. I feel like the same what I thought it was. See me soon as I caught a ball. So nah, turn it off. You got another one? I said, of course I do. I said pick a door one, two, or three. Finally, they played what was behind door number three. You know what happened? It's, again, one of the most influential moments of my life. But, of course, you're going to have to wait to the end of this episode. Welcome to In The Moment. Yeah. It's a moment in everything, and everything is a moment. I talk about the comedy in it all. This is your first time. Welcome to the funniest podcast you have never heard. I'm your new favorite comedian or your money back. Shout out to all my regular listeners and my new listeners. Episode 81, part two. So Jay-Z walks into the room, and I wasn't on the sticks. For those of you who don't know the video game lingo, it's a joystick. Controller, if you will. Like controller. I was sitting on the couch writing. It's a notepad at the time. And I just remember some of my loyal podcast listeners. This may sound familiar. I believe I've told this story once before. But I remember Jay-Z walking in the room. And holy shit, I hadn't seen him since I was a kid. And he wasn't there for no lunch money. I can promise you that. And I remember thinking, this is the moment. I'm going to get to tell him about the story. My grandmother, his mother, the job, Manhattan, lunch money. I'll buy the shirt off you in the company, the whole nine. I'm about to run it all by him. And I remember thinking that he would be just as excited to see me. <laughs> no. Not so much. I remember Jay 
looked at everybody in the room, and he was like, yo, oh, y'all must have made it already. Y'all in a million-dollar studio, and y'all in here playing 2K? It probably wasn't 2K back then. I'm trying to keep the story, you know what I mean, like relevant to today. I'm trying to keep the youth engaged. It's probably Live 95 or some shit. I don't know what it was, man. I don't remember the year, but I think it was 2K. Point is, it felt as if he walked in and he just kind of looked in the rooms to see what was going on. And when he looked in that room, he looked into the loser's room. That's how it felt. Like, he looked into that room and was like, oh, this is the room where they sitting around playing video games. Nah. I'm here for the room where they getting it. Take me to the room Dr. Dre is in. And I don't know how everybody else read that moment because as soon as Jay walked out the room, they was like kind of either just going back to the games like it was nothing or commenting on it like, yo, that was Jay-Z, that's wild. I'm like, that's wild. He just looked at us like losers, fam. (laughs) I'm the only one in the room who was mad to have been in the room because these were the young artists. These wasn't the artists that was established, obviously. They was going in the other room with Jay. These was the young artists that felt like, yo, he acknowledged us. What? <laughs> Ain't the kind of acknowledgement I was looking for. I hated that I was in that room at that moment. Now you get caught doing something that was really your friends. You just was there. You didn't even want to go. That's how I felt in that moment. They was like, Mo, you saw that? You don't talk to me, fam. I don't even like you like that. I'm like nobody in this room. I wanted to go out with my notepad. Yo, Jay, yo, I had a pad. I had a pad. That don't even sound manly. Nothing about that sounds cool. But that's what I wanted to do. I never forgot that. Anybody here to play no games? That's why he is where he is. That's why his mindset is what it is. He At that point, he had already had a few meals. I'm sure he had some M's at that point. Didn't matter. Everywhere I go, I'm thinking more. I'm thinking money. One million, two million, three million, four. In just a few months. 80 million more. That's what he's on. That wasn't in video games at that time. Can be today if you know what you're doing, but definitely wasn't then. That said something to me. It said something to me that obviously it didn't really say to everyone else in that room. Same way Jay-Z eventually tried to crush Auto-Tune and Tim's and all these other things. At that moment, he crushed video games for me. Went home and threw my whole Sega out. PlayStation, Nintendo, whatever it was I had. Went home, threw my whole PlayStation out. Nope. It's a Frisbee now. What am I doing? And then I got focused. Every time I went into that studio, I was no longer in the room where they were playing video games. Even if I didn't feel like they wanted me in the big room where the magic was happening. I walked in there. And there was a lot of shit going on in them studios back then, fam. Let me be the first to tell you. There was all kind of nastiness going on. (laughs) Some of it not nasty. It just was a lot going on. It was a popular hip-hop studio at a time when, you know, couldn't trust everybody. So you had to have protection on you. Things were happening to people. Girls were coming in and out. Drugs, fights, all kind of things. I'm not about to sit here and give you the details because I'm no snitch. But it was real in there. And I had to maneuver. I had to figure it out. I had to... Move in a room full of vultures. But that's what I did. And I remember having a few of my homeboys with me from Brooklyn come to the studio with me. 
and I would just work. I would just give songs to Lloyd. I would try to give songs to whomever I could. I would let whoever was willing to listen hear me rap. And one of the moments I really remember that kind of shaped me in a way, too, was I always used to want to have a moment with Ja, one-on-one. Because I felt like if I could get that moment, then I could kind of level with him in a way where I couldn't if it was a lot of other people in the room. Because they, you know, it's rap, it's hip-hop. You're always surrounded by 50 people. And I did get that moment. I don't remember how it happened, but it happened. And I just remember sitting in this big-ass studio with Ja Rule, who at the time was one of the biggest hit makers ever. Still is, really. And I didn't say shit. He sat there, I was sitting there, he was kind of working on something, and I did not say a word. I choked, if you will. I didn't know what to say. Still young. Just wasn't exactly sure what to do at the moment. I could feel it. You ever have a moment where you could literally feel like you're supposed to do something? Fellas, you might go through it with a woman who's just really gorgeous at a time when you wasn't ready. Now you're supposed to say something. You're supposed to be a man. and You, I, 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 you start doing that shit. You know what I mean? Maybe it's asking your boss for a raise, telling your significant other something difficult. Whatever it is, we all have those moments when you know this is the moment. You're supposed to say something. You're supposed to let it go. Now I passed. I passed, man. I made the right pass. LeBron in the clutch. I wanted to be Kobe. Wasn't Kobe. I was LeBron. It was magic. Got into the room where the magic was supposed to happen. It became magic. Distributing. And there was no one to pass to, so the ball just went out of bounds. Turnover. Damn. But I did learn in that moment two things. One, I'm a bitch. (laughs) It is what it is. I had to look at myself in the mirror that day and go, hey, hey. Win some, you lose some, but you lost today, bud. Took an L today, my guy. And number two, it pushed me. It pushed me because in that moment, I was like, that shit will never happen again. That will never happen again. And it did. <laughs> happened plenty of more times. Oh, it's happened so much, it's ridiculous. But <laughs> whenever I'm in a moment when I know, yo, you cannot let this moment pass, I go back to that moment. And I remember me calling me a bitch. And I look at that me and I go, not today. Not today. And I do what I got to do. Because I can't let that moment repeat itself. Who knows what could have happened if I would actually shot my shot at Ja that day. <laughs> I didn't shoot. Shoot or shoot. Steph didn't get to where he is by just sitting in the park. Man was out there shooting. That was the lesson. I remembered sitting in that studio for a long time. Eventually, Murder, Inc. didn't necessarily stay on top where they once were. And they all went off into other ventures. And I had to do the same. And that's when I became a struggling artist. And at this time, I'd kind of turned my back on music once that happened. One, because I just didn't feel like it was happening fast enough. It was difficult to keep my confidence through all of that. The other reason, if I'm being honest, is just that was the time when you could really feel the shift of music happening. Like music was going into the direction of where it is today. Where, to be, where if we're being honest, 
you don't have to really say shit to be considered a good rapper. <laughs> it went from, there was a point when you didn't have to even rhyme. Then it got to a point where you literally didn't even have to be saying anything. Then it got to a point where people, you could just be, it could be a bunch of gibberish on a track. As long as it had a little, little catchiness to it, it was money. And I just, I was overwhelmed by that. I felt like, I remember feeling like at that time, why is that hip-hop? Hip-hop is the only profession where you can kind of be that way. You can actually have no talent and succeed. And I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Most jobs, if you go in there and suck and people can't understand what you're doing and it don't really make sense, you're out of there. You can't be a doctor who doesn't really help his patients. You can't be a pilot that doesn't really always land, you know. You can't be an accountant that I don't know what happened to your money. Like, you got to actually be decent at your job to keep a job in almost every other profession. In sports, they'll cut your ass. Even in being a drug dealer, they'll cut your ass. <laughs> you got to be good at something, man. But you could be the worst rapper on the planet. Throw a little hook on there. You could be talking bad about women. Women will still sing it and shake to it. You could be getting men killed. Men will still be out here playing it even after you did. Uh, it's an unfortunate reality, but it's a reality. And I remember being frustrated about that at that time. Like, what am I rapping for then? I want no part of this. There has to be another way where I can communicate and get in touch with the people. And I said a prayer one day saying pretty much that to God and asking him what he wanted me to do. And I kid you not, at a moment when I felt the most lost, that's when everything became pretty clear that I was supposed to now dive into comedy. I remember that prayer like it was yesterday. I asked God to make it clear because I'm lost. If you are lost right now, if you ever been lost in your life, you know what I'm talking about. I was lost. Yo, I thought it was music. To the point I remember my ex had a grandmother who I went to get a reading from after I was forced because I didn't believe in readings at the time. But I loved her grandmother, so I trusted her. And she gave me a reading and she said, you're going to be a successful young man. Make a lot of money, be happy, travel, do a lot of things. And it has a lot to do with a microphone, but it's not music. And I remember her telling me that, and I also remember being that being one of the saddest days of my life because I didn't hear none of that other shit. I didn't hear the money. I didn't hear the success. I, didn't, I heard not music. Whoa. There's nothing else I want to do on a microphone. That doesn't even make sense. You don't know me, lady. And she just kind of said, okay. <laughs> Never thought about comedy. Never thought about radio. But the universe, as life would have it, I end up becoming somewhat of a struggling artist. And I remember going places at this time, trying to find myself, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And for some odd reason, everything kept being about comedy. I would go to a bar and I would meet someone and they would be like, yo, you ever thought about being a comedian? You funny as hell. I'm like, what? I would get around friends whom I'd been around for years who had never mentioned comedy before for some reason on this day go, 
Yo, fam, I've been thinking, and you're the funniest dude I've ever known in my life. You should do comedy. To the point where it felt like it was a joke. And I ended up getting this job because I was looking for temporary work at the time. And they found me work. And the job was for iHeart. And at the time, I was working in the mailroom for all of the big iHeart companies and shows. One of those shows was The Breakfast Club which is arguably the number one podcast in hip-hop. I don't even know if it's arguably. I believe, according to the numbers, it is number one. I don't know anymore. In my mind, Bird Show's number one in all, in all things. That's just me, though. <laughs> but God put me so close to what I would ultimately be doing, which at that time I had no idea. But when I look back on it, it's wild. I wasn't thinking nothing about no radio, but I ended up being... Fairly close with everybody that was in that circle. The Breakfast Club. I met a ton of celebrities then. A lot of good things happened for me. And I, I was very close to radio. And I remember Charlemagne the God invited me to his birthday party, which was on a yacht. And it was fun. I had a great time. But I ended up at the table with other comedians. And this was before I had ever thought about being a comedian. And it was around that same time that all of this this weird comedy stuff was happening to me, and this guy said to me, who was a comedian, like Adam Schultz was there, a few other comedians were there, and they were like, yo, you funny, man. Your delivery is great. Where do you perform? And that was the moment I was like, all right, God. <laughs> I got it, man. You want me to try comedy? Fuck it. <laughs> Terrified. Hated public speaking in college. You want me to get on a stage and talk in front of people? Got me fucked up. But if you've watched Manifest, it was something like that. Everywhere I went, somebody was like, free them. Set them free. It was just comedy. I was having dreams about it. It was all of these signs, go do comedy. And I was sitting on a bench with my homegirl at the time. Name is Ashley. Shout out to Ash. And I was like, yo, I'm getting all of these signs that I should go do comedy. And she was like, then go do it. And I was like, just like that. And she was like, just like that. And I remember at that time in my life, I came across a Steve Harvey video and it said something to the extent of if you are waking up every day and you just don't feel fulfilled, you don't feel like excited to wake up and to get the day started, it's because you're not living your purpose. You're not... You're not doing what you was put on this earth to do. And you need to stop being afraid to jump. You need to leap. And I remember her saying, you need to leap. And you need a mentor. I was like, where do you find a mentor? I got to leap and find a mentor at the same time? The fuck? And she's like, nah, it'll come to you. Just, just pray for it and be on the lookout for it and it'll happen. And it's funny because... I did exactly that, and I, I will never forget sitting on that bench in that park at night outside of my job with her feeling like I was so lost and so far from doing anything great in my life. This was only one of my rock-bottom moments in my life, mind you. There were others, like sleeping in my car. But at this point, I had felt like I was older, and damn it, I should have been on what I was supposed to be on already. And ironically, 
Steve Harvey was also affiliated with iHeart at the time. I believe he still is, not sure. But I used to get to go on these little trips sometime because I was the guy in the mailroom, but I was fly with everybody. I had a rapport with a whole lot of people, and I made a whole lot of people laugh. So when tickets would come up and events would happen, even though I had no business there, they'd throw me a ticket here and there. And one of the events I got to go on, I met Steve Harvey. And I remembered that Ja Rule moment because I ended up in a room one-on-one with Steve Harvey. And I said, there's no way I'll let this shit happen again. <laughs> Not today, Satan. I'm going to say something. And I did. And I basically asked Steve to be my mentor, which is the same thing I asked Tracy Morgan the time that I met him. And what the both of them said to me was very similar and also extremely hurtful. <laughs> so they said, Stop switching lines. Help me. Stop me. The world needs to see me as I am.